it's been on here several times before, and I keep having you back on because I thoroughly enjoy talking to you because I can go full into my UFO lore imagination, and unlike most people that look at me and wonder whether or not, whether or not I should be locked up, you just jump right in there with me, and that's why I love it. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> if you should be locked up, then NASA should be locked up because if you've seen the news, you know that NASA is now has a whole committee now that is going back supposedly to research what NASA's relationship with UFOs are. So they had this big meeting. You could get it on. It's on C-SPAN or CNN. You can find it. You could actually replay it for the show because okay. it's on video. And what they were talking about the issues that NASA and this um, UAP committee will have to address. Um, and the big thing, this, this got me, okay, Tom, this really got me. Because what they were saying was, oh, we don't have enough data. You don't have enough data at NASA after John Podesta John Podesta, friends with Hillary Clinton. John Podesta sued NASA for information on UFOs for the Kecksburg crash in Pennsylvania. Sued them. They said, we don't have anything. John Podesta won that lawsuit. And the court ordered NASA to divulge all their information about UFOs. And you know what NASA said? We don't have any information on UFOs. Yet, now they're having a commission to study the data that they do have on UFOs that they said they didn't have when they told the court in the John Podesta lawsuit. So they're forming a committee to find what they have legally said they didn't have. And get this, so now they're saying, gee, we don't have enough data about UFOs. Um, had you thought about asking your Apollo astronauts who saw UFOs on the lunar surface? Do you know how many radio transmissions NASA has stored and hidden <clears throat> from astronauts, from the Apollo astronauts? There was one astronaut who's on the moon and he's radioing back to um, the Johnson Space Center. And he says to uh, NASA, they're shooting at us. They're shooting at us. Another astronaut, another Apollo astronaut said, hey, wait a minute. There's a road here. Is there a, a road? road? Yeah, that's what he said. And then we were talking to this NASA official by the name of Donna Hare. Uh-huh. And she told this story. And we got another story for you. But he told, she told this story. She's with the photo processing operator, right? At the big photo processing machines. Photo comes out in a strip and it's the lunar surface. And she looks at the photo and she sees a black triangle on the surface. And the guy, the NASA operator, is gonna, he's airbrushing it out. And she says, what are you airbrush? That's a flying triangle. That's a UFO on the lunar surface. He said, oh no, there are no UFOs on the moon. As he's rushing it out. Then there's this story. And I, I judge it as true. Okay. This person was, I think he's, I think he, I think he died uh, a couple of years ago. Um, <clears throat> he was um, a psychological counselor. And before that, he was in the Air Force. <clears throat> and he, he was the photo repair guy. That's what he was at, Air, at, the secret Air, at this Air Force base that was divided in half. One half was a regular open Air Force base, military comes and goes. The other half was top secret. He wasn't allowed to go on the top secret part of the base. He didn't have clearance. It's Sunday, a Sunday morning. Gets this, and he's, he's the duty officer at that shop. Gets a phone call. 
on the other side of the base. Dude, our lunar photo processing machine is broken. You have to fix it. He says, hey, I'm not, I'm on this side of the base. He says, come on. They beg him. He says, we have all these photos inside the machine. We have to get them out. So they get him a car to go to the other side of the base because he's got to be, this is mm-hmm. secure. What does he see there? He sees people from foreign countries. This is a United States Air Force base. There are people speaking foreign languages there. There are there are Asians and Africans and, 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 and people from different countries there. He's in shock. He goes to the photo unit, meets the person, and the person says, this is the machine. He looks at the machine, takes it apart a little bit, says, ah, oh, this needs parts. The guy says, what are you going to do? He says, the parts are over at my shop on the other side of the base. He said, but I can't, we're going to be here all day, back and forth. He says, take the machine with you. I'll go with you back to your side of the base. So they pack up this machine, put it in, his, in the car, back to the base. The guy replaces the parts, turns it on. The machine comes to life, right? Whirring, lights come on. All of a sudden, a strip of photos come out. And my friend Carl looks down and sees it's the lunar surface. But he sees glass-looking, transparent buildings on the surface of the moon. And the guy says to him, yeah, we've had these things on the moon for a while now. And Carl is like in shock. And the Air Force looks at him and says, wait a minute, you mean you're not read in? And he goes, no, I've never seen this before. And he goes, we're both dead. Oh. And anybody wanting to read that story can go to UFO Magazine, because that's where it is. And you can also, I'll put it in the, it's in the description as always, your book, UFOs in the White House, uh, it's on Audible. Again, I wouldn't keep having you on here. And I'm a, I'm a UFO book connoisseur. It is it is one of the best. You cover every topic, and I, and I can't push it enough. Um, so, when are we ever going to see? Is NASA? It's, it's at some point almost like um, like social media saturation, and we all have phones and cameras. At a certain point, there's going to have to be a threshold where it can no longer be hidden. You're right? correct. You're are correct. we approaching that point? Yes. My theory is that disclosure will never come top down. It's gonna to have to come bottom up. In other words, we're gonna to have to have a cultural realization about UFOs and extraterrestrials that's gonna percolate up, not Joe Biden, somebody else coming on the, at the Rose Garden and saying, guess what? Right, it's not going to happen. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because in a country like America, vast, no matter how you spin it, we're a vast, diverse country, right? When there is a cultural acceptance, it must come from the people, not from the government, because you and I both know government only exists for the sake of government Mm -hmm. whatever government does for the people is 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 a collateral coincidental yeah okay i mean government exists for government so what i think is that there is going to be kind of an understanding what's going to create this understanding right i mean you natural question For me, the natural question is, they will reveal themselves to us. And what they will reveal is that they are us. In other words, we're the ET. And that's going to be the big shocking revelation that we are the ET. And one of the reasons it's never going to come top down, because the Bible has given us a whole different interpretation 
But what we, what folks will say, okay, what people will say is that the Bible, the story of creation is a giant metaphor. What others will say is, no, it's true. That's going to come from bottom up. It's, it'll never come top down. Hmm. You'll never see Joe Biden or anybody say, guess what? Aliens are here. They will afterwards when it's politically expedient. Well, I don't know. That's such a paradigm shifting thing that we might not even have. They are here. I mean, that's part of what's going on. Okay. Um, ETs, who are humans, live among us. So, I mean, it's not... I mean, we're the ETs. And uh, there are those who know and who are actually in positions of power. I'm not saying Joe Biden is an ET. Sure. But I'm saying in positions of power who are consciously and carefully and mathematically navigating our society. I think you and I have brought this up before, and it's no part of this is an, an absurd proposition. I mean, on face value, it is. But if you actually look at it, I mean, this is no different than embedding your people in a foreign government. This is no different than espionage and infiltration. This is no different than... I mean, I've interviewed special forces guys, the guys who worked for the CIA that would wear prosthetics if they were, you, you know, they can't pull off the full body thing, but just driving around Afghanistan, you can't have a white guy from Ohio. So the, they would have prosthetics of like black skin, um, you know, facial. And this is all like unclassified stuff people I've right. talked to. So all you have to do is extrapolate it. No different than extrapolate an airliner from the 40s and then go, yeah, by 2023, they'll probably have double-decker Airbus A38. Like, that's not a that's not a big leap. That's not a, a tough thing to swallow. It's not a tough idea to go, this phone will be more advanced in 10 years. So if you extrapolate that, decades and centuries, what would it look like? Right. And so, I mean, so here's classic example. Remember Star Trek? And if you remember the old original Star Trek, the, the original series back from 1966. Do you know that everything in that series that was supposed to be in the 20th century, we have now, except we can't exceed the speed of light? Look at I'm talking to you. Yeah. In 1966, the first time, I remember being in graduate school and seeing that thing and saying, oh boy, I can hardly wait for the day when telephones can be visual like TVs. And here we are. And it's only been 60 years. Yeah. Less than 60 years. It's not the 23rd century. No. We have created many <clears throat> hydrogen fusions at Lawrence Livermore in California. You know what that means? At some point, you want to get scared. At some point, somebody is going to say, can I create a black hole inside this accelerator? And would reality slip into that black hole? And where would we be on the other side of it? And has it happened before? Are we already on the other side of it? It could well have happened before. Yeah. So it wouldn't affect our consciousness. No. Suddenly we're here, then we're here. And sure, you couldn't account for it, but so what? Yeah. Yeah. And it's... So if you look at that, and then you have to you have to intellectually entertain. If you have any surface-level grasp of just the last hundred years of intelligence operations, no part of it, and it's easy to write off, oh, you think aliens are here. But if you actually break it down into a scientific debate, no part of it's far-fetched. It's actually far-fetched to believe that in no universe could this happen. Right. I'm wondering. I have a theory that this has happened before. Maybe not with nuclear weapons. Yeah. But in prior civilizations on this planet, I just think those who planted us here, us, tried a number of times to get it to work. Hmm. And 
every single time we manage to screw it up. How do we screw it up? When you look at, you could argue climate change back and forth for the next year. But when you look at the data, climate change began happening at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. at the end of, in the 18th century. Steam engine, the discovery of electronics, prospecting for oil, gasoline. I mean, it is as if technology itself, and I think that, uh, that part of the issue is what is the, what is the um, balance between a developing society and a destruction of the planet on which that society is developing? Hmm. I think that's the aim, is the aim that we, the human beings, cannot exist solely as biological entities, but that human beings have to be some kind of, well, we, we know what's happening now, that human beings have to be some kind of hybrid between silicon and carbon, right? in order not to feel the effects of climate change. I, th I think that's it. One of the things that, that is happening, and this is a fact, it's not a conspiracy theory, it's not craziness, it's that now, in addition to microplastics being found in the ocean, microplastics, and now they're calling them nanoplastics, are turning up in baby diapers. Hmm. That means they're coming out of babies. Jeez. Okay? There are nanoplastics in our bloodstreams. Is this an accident? Are we destroying themselves? Or is this evolution? I think are it's evolution. We, it is. Are we becoming one with our plastics, an evolution that might have started, well, at least for us, since 1947 at the crash at Roswell. Hmm. It was where we first discovered the um, what aliens did to make the transistor. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like um, <clears throat> if you could go back to the first tadpole with little proto-legs that crawled out of the water and then subsequent generations you might have people saying like look at these growths this is the end of us you know this is cancerous but if you draw it out a hundred million years you'd, you'd be like what do we go we go oh no that's the next step in evolution we don't even think twice about it right what about the the apes losing their hair i'm losing my hair i'm naked and it's like no you're about to start the agricultural revolution and develop clothing right what about um, one of the fascinating things is that evolution itself, I mean, Darwin said a lot, but what if evolution came from the ETs? I mean, what they if- Facilitated evolution. Yeah, what if they facilitated evolution by, through viruses? What is the main communication between humans on this planet and stuff in, um, in space? Viruses. Yeah. Bacteria. Yeah. They live in space. Yeah. Spores live in space. Extre extremophiles can survive reentry on a satellite. So therefore, if we look at, instead of space being some dead place where there are stars that shine, what if space is teeming with life i think it, part of that life is us i think it probably i think and that's kind of like your own like conscious evolution you have over the years if you read or you know take time to contemplate or whatever is it starts to i remember it really first dawned on me in maybe like 2010 or 11 that space isn't out there we're in space 
Right. Right. You, exactly you, right. You never, when you're in a plane up in the sky, you don't look around and go, look at that sky way over there. No, you're in it on every side of you. We're, we're in space. We're in the, we're floating in the middle of it. Right. And why wouldn't it all be teeming like, like an ocean or a pond under a magnifying glass? It's, that's exactly what I think this is. Yeah. Um, when you realize, I mean, false statements. Who was yeah. a big um, mycelium guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great guest, by the way. He's he's incredible. I've watched him up before on Joe Rogan. He's guest. brilliant. Um, he says that mycelia are actually like messengers. One of his theories, which I mean, I think is great, which I think is funny because it sounds so much like 2001: Space Odyssey. One of his theories, and he has a graphic for this, is these um, early cave people, these hominids. They're walking along and they see out of a, a cow patty or an antelope patty, a mushroom stalk. And they think, well, that looks tempting. I mean, patty notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, let's eat it. Imagine that happens for 100,000 years a million times. Yeah. That's how ETs evolved us to yeah. be where we are now. Little little nudges. Little nudges, exactly. They are the viruses in those mushrooms in those mycelium stalks and those mushroom stalks, the viruses we know. Here's what we know. And we knew this from the 1920s. Here's what it is. There was a scientist called, um, uh, I think his name was Paul Pottinger. Well, his last name was Pottinger. I think mm -hmm. his name was um, Paul Pottinger. He did an experiment called Pottinger's Cats. This was the experiment. Very healthy cats had a litter. He fed the litter the kittens absolute garbage just nothing nutritious kittens year later grew up to be cats they had kittens those kittens were so sickly most of them died but for the ones that lived Pottinger gave them the best possible food they became healthy they had kittens those kittens thrived what does it mean? It means that events that take place, I mean, genetics are one thing, but that events that take place after birth, things in nature that take place, those affect the genes of a person. And so Pottinger said, how can that happen? How can things that happen external affect genes that will go to the next generation. And his theory was a theory called epigenetics, mm -hmm. which meant that external events like good nutrition, vaccines, affect the RNA. The RNA is a messenger set of cells that affect the, the DNA. So external events after birth affect the RNA and the RNA is a messenger for the DNA so that affects the next generation. That's how RNA vaccines work. That's what Pottinger showed. This is how mushrooms worked millions of years ago. You eat it, it affects your RNA your RNA transfers the data, the viral data from those mushrooms into your DNA, that gets transferred to the next generation, and that's how evolution takes place. And then it's also, you can affect your own, your own brain, right? Neuroplasticities, like th you can affect how you learn languages. You can affect how you do by like working out if you push towards it you'll start to consciously 
rewire your brain to whatever task you're learning. And one of the ways of doing that is, I guess, like willingness to change. You know, it's like me and my buddy in college had this theory. We were like, we were super drunk one night and we were like, which, you know, 21 and, uh, you know, and like we, we hadn't really known each other before. We'd been in like kind of similar circles, but just through the luck of the draw, we ended up living in the same house together and we became like best friends and we're, we're still great friends. And we're like, how did this like happen though? And it's like, well, once a week, like we, we just go out and get shit faced. And he was also a science major. And we concluded that it was kind of like taking two cold metals, heating them up with a, with a blowtorch, welding them, and then letting them cool back down. And now it's one piece. So we would be two normal guys going about our lives and then we would just go hang out and get shit-faced. And we would talk about stuff that you normally wouldn't talk about. Instead of biology class, you'd talk about your upbringing or a heartbreak or your dreams. And you become better and better friends. And then you sober up. But those bonds are still there. And we become closer and closer friends. So if you want to facilitate... Now, that was to become friends. Now, what if you want to facilitate new modes of thinking? If anyone's ever taken psilocybin, you become like a child... In that you drop everything you have learned, right? That's why kids are so good at pointing things out because they go, why do people kill each other? And you just kind of pause and you're like, well, you know, sometimes there are wars and they're like, but aren't wars bad? And you're like, yeah, I guess they are. They, they kind of, they make you drop all of your assumptions. That's what psilocybin would do. If you wanted a monkey to just, why shouldn't I use my thumb? Why not start walking? Yeah. What if we started talking? When we started making noises, that's how you would facilitate an exponent. Now, again, it might take 100,000 years, but in an evolutionary in evolutionary terms, that's a blink of an eye. So I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. And the funny part about that, when you're talking about psilocybin and um, psychedelics, all the way back in the 19... 19- 64, I think. Timothy Leary, who did work for the CIA. Yeah. And he was... I knew him. <laughs> yeah, he's through and through. He was CIA. In fact, he was so CIA that um, the head of Army Intelligence G2, this is, goes back to 1953-ish, was after the Korean War. Army intelligence, he took, his name was, uh, he was a, two, three, he was a brigadier. Brigadier? No, he was a two-star. He took Timothy Leary's LSD and doped the morning coffee at a general staff meeting at the Pentagon. This is an army intelligence officer, general staff. (laughs) The experiment in army intelligence terms was, could we use LSD? This is why Leary was working for the CIA. Mm -hmm. Could we use LSD to disrupt enemy planning if we could work it into the water systems of the enemy? That was an active thing. And the experiment, doping the morning coffee of the general staff, I mean, it was so stupid. Nothing worked. I mean, there was no great revelation from that. They were just stumbling around saying, what's going on here? (laughs) So that didn't work. But one of the things Timothy Leary said, and I'm telling you, I I knew him. I'm not going to go into detail why. Yeah. What um, one of the things that he did, remember, Timothy Leary was providing LSD to JFK at the White House and his mistresses. He and this one mistress was this woman, um, she'd known him at Harvard. They were deep lovers, even though she was married to a CIA agent, Gordon Meyer. They kept a journal together. 
just a, a lover's journal. Yeah. When she was killed, she was shot. She was murdered on the Georgetown uh, canals a year after Kennedy. After her, her, she was married. She had been married to Cord Meyer. She was Kennedy's mistress. Her sister was married to Ben Bradley of the Washington Post. After uh, Mary's murder, Ben Bradley shows up in her apartment. Turns the knob, puts the key in the knob, puts the key in the door to unlock it. Doors open. Mary's dead. Who's in the apartment? He walks in and there he sees James mm -hmm. Jesus Angleton. The head of CIA counterintelligence. <laughs> what are you looking for? He asks. Angleton says, I'm looking for Mary's diary. Bradley says, why? He says, give me the diary. I need to read it and I'll give it back to you. Then he says to Bradley, you burn it. Bradley gets it, gives it to, gives it to Bradley. Bradley burns it. Years later, we spoke to Ben Bradley. And we said, we spoke to Tony Bradley first. He said, what was in the diary? She said, you wouldn't believe it. She said, first of all, it, Kennedy was a one-worlder. He believed in one world. And now remember the first one event that happened at the very, in Kennedy's first year in office, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction mm -hmm. in New Hampshire. You're President Kennedy now. You hear rumors about this. It's 1962 now. You look at the cover of Look Magazine, and what do you see? Betty and Barney Hill on the cover abducted by aliens. It's going to drive you crazy. You're the president of the United States. You have been reading Timothy Leary's journal about alternate universes, about different worlds, about different places, about different dimensions that exist right here on planet Earth. That's what Kennedy and um, Mary Meyer were reading. That's what they were reading. Taking LSD, smoking pot, taking methamphetamine injections. They were both Dr. Feelgood patients. And LSD. That was the president of the United States circa 1963. And they can't have that. Do you know what Kennedy was doing in 63? He would go, he would travel to New York. That's, that's why if, if Bobby Kennedy puts his face in mine, I'm going to take it off. Um, if he's traveling to New York to go to the Carlisle Hotel, you know what he's doing in the Carlisle Hotel? He's having assignations with call girls around Columbus Circle in Manhattan. He's slipping away from his Secret Service detail to go pick up call girls under the influence of methamphetamines. Because methamphetamines, in addition to making you bipolar, methamphetamines jack up your when sex you're drive. High, they make you sexually crazy. Insane. Yeah. Sane. That's what happened to Kennedy. He went insane sexually. Huh. Going after any girl he could find. The Secret Service simply said, he has to go. I mean, imagine if one of the... Imagine 
You know what a sparrow is, right? A Kremlin sparrow? No. A Kremlin sparrow is a, a prostitute that is sent by the Kremlin. Okay. Okay? Like this person who was the NRA person, Maria Butina, she was a, a red sparrow. Gotcha. So imagine if Khrushchev had sent a sparrow to Columbus Circle. Kennedy away from the Secret Service detail. Look at what Sasha Baron Cohen did to um, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Imagine that would be Kennedy. Yeah. Okay. So, at the same time this is happening, there is a scandal in the United States Senate. The um, Lyndon Johnson, Vice President Johnson's um, go-to guy in the Senate uh, was, I want to say his name was Bobby Baker. And he was involved with this person, Billy Solestes, who was a crook. It involved LBJ. There was an investigation into the Bobby Baker scandal. And, it was, and they were looking hard at LBJ. CIA comes to LBJ and they say, got two choices for you. Choice one, this Bobby Baker scandal is going to bring you down. I mean, you will not go to the White House after this administration. It's likely you'll find yourself being prosecuted. Or you can go to the White House if you do exactly what we say. What is it that you exactly want me to do? Mm. Two things. One, you will occupy the White House because the president will have... Um, a tragic event. It's going to be your job to make sure that there is no collateral fallout from that tragic event. Two, once you're in the White House, we have a very particular interest in Vietnam. Eisenhower wouldn't let us get into Vietnam after the Viet Minh took Dien Bien Phu, we want to get back in. You will get us back into Vietnam. And that was the deal. Johnson did. We now know that the that what happened at the Gulf of Tonkin was fake news. The Turner joined the Maddox were never attacked. That started the bombing campaign. Why did he want to bomb them? Two reasons. One, the French were pushing us to defend the Michelin plantations. But more important, and this turns up in a Senate Judicial Committee hearing in 1960. And it was this. The CIA was fronting for the Southeast Asian drug traffickers. And here's how they were doing it. They weren't trafficking in narcotics. What they were doing, and I know this because I worked with the DEA years and years and years later. They did this by laundering money for the drug traffickers through Mexican banks. It was all CIA. And they took a hefty cut. Mm -hmm. They were financing themselves, knowing, and this turns up, by the way, this turns up in the Senate hearings, okay? Not only were they financing themselves, they knew 
effects will kill you. They knew that the drugs that they were fronting for were turning up in schools in California and big cities. Jesus Christ. And they were in urban school districts, not white school districts. Yeah. That's what's going on. That's how Johnson got to be president in 1963. And then he won again in 64. After the Tet Offensive, remember Johnson, like Nixon, had tape recordings in the office. He had a whole tape recording system. And in fact, I'll tell you something. If you want a great show, those tapes are online. Uh, Lady Bird Johnson, the first lady, she made them available. She, she, she made them public. You should find those tapes and you will hear Johnson's voice. Tom, Johnson is actually admitting to the conspiracy online. Well, he wasn't online then, yeah. but he's admitting to it. He, he's talking to Richard Russell, the, the Senator Richard Russell over the phone. So Richard Russell says to LBJ, Mr. President, now you know who Richard Russell is, right? He was a senator. And he was LBJ's mentor in the Senate. He says to LBJ, you know, Linda, that um, he's, he's trying to explain to him that Johnson is a Southern president, okay? And Johnson's trying to explain to him that even though nobody believes in the magic bullet theory, it has to be true. So Richard Russell says, why are you arguing this to Johnson? And Johnson says to Richard Russell, I don't believe in the magic bullet theory either. But if the magic bullet theory isn't true, that means there was another shooter. Hmm. If there was another shooter, it was probably a Soviet. I am not going to get into a war that will kill 40 million people for the death of one person who's never coming back. And so Richard Russell says, I'll convince Jerry Ford to go along with you. That's Jeez. on tape. That is on tape. Man, that's a... That's a gray area because... Want to hear what else is on tape? Yeah. LBJ has just been sworn in on the plane, comes back to the Washington. One of the first people in the Oval Office is J. Edgar Hoover. This is on tape. J. Edgar Hoover says to the president, President Johnson, there were two Lee Harvey Oswalds. Hoover says, there's a Lee Harvey Oswald that was in Dallas, and there's a Lee Harvey Oswald who we picked up in Mexico at the Soviet embassy. The problem is, both Lee Harvey Oswalds traveled out of the country. So both Lee Harvey Oswalds have passports in the name of Lee Harvey Oswald. And Johnson's going, ah. And Hoover goes, Mr. President, they're different people. One is six foot two, one is five foot nine. So Johnson looks at Hoover and says, you know, Director Hoover, we must keep this away from the Warren Commission. There's your conspiracy. Lyndon Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover, the two top law enforcement officials in the United States, agree to a conspiracy of murder after the fact 
in the state of Texas, which is a hanging crime. Is it, is there a moral gray area in not going to war and killing 40 million people for the death of one, the death being a president, a president who wanted peace? What if, as LBJ knew in that phone call, it wasn't the Russians? Well, I think that's, yeah. In fact, um, we interviewed when we were writing our, our Dr. Feelgood book, one of the people we interviewed was the head of the Jackie detail, Secret Service Jackie detail. Mm -hmm. And here's what he said. He, of course, was in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Here's what he said. That uh, th th we're talking now, this is in the year, this is in the 2000s, because we're running Dr. Feelgood. So we're talking about 50 years in the past. He said he was walking behind the presidential limousine, right? It's going very slowly, right? Along Dealey Plaza, he's walking behind it on the running boards. They hear the first shot. Secret Service agents, he said to us, are trained, even in the, uh, Dealey Plaza is a bowl. So when there's a gunshot, it's going to bounce off the sides. He said Secret Services, Secret Service personnel are trained to pick up the direction of a gunshot. So, try to imagine you've got a crowd, you hear a gunshot, you have to know where it's coming from. So they knew it was coming from the book depository. But he said he ran up to the presidential limousine, leaped over the trunk, to grab Jackie, to, to cover Jackie with his body. That's when he heard the second shot that came from in front of the motorcade. That's when he said the back of the president's head blew off. Jesus. Jackie covered the president, he covered Jackie. The next shot rang out, that was the, that was the magic bullet. He looks up at the bridge over Daly Plaza and he sees people running across the bridge. Years later, Tom, he said to me, you know who was running across that bridge? I said, who? He said, E. Howard Hunt. Oh, for f So if you're LBJ, you gotta, it doesn't make it right, but there's no way you're not playing ball. Of course you're not you, playing ball. Do you want to go to jail? I mean, LBJ... Best case, go to jail. LBJ made $30 million in one of the most regulated... From the time he, he came to Congress, he didn't even have new shoes when yeah. he came to Congress. He came with FDR. He was dirt poor. For the years he was in Congress, he made $30 million in one of the most regulated industries, communications. And he got kickbacks from helicopters. Oh, my God. That was his big thing, right? His campaigning in helicopters, and then yeah. magically we go to Vietnam. <laughs> the, the helicopter war. And that's why LBJ didn't run in 1968. <sighs> he knew the war was fruitless. <sighs> Eisenhower wouldn't get us into the war. In 1954, when the uh, when the Viet Minh were surrounding Dien Bien Phu, and they were surrounding the French Foreign Legion, I spoke to an American Marine. There was a Marine contingent of advisors on that base in 1954, and that Marine told me he was a cop in, in where I was living. Uh, he was a police chief, I think. He told me that they were told they were given orders as the Viet Minh were surrounding the base. They were given orders to fight their way out through the jungle and leave the French Foreign Legion in place. And the French were helicoptered out. That's 54. That was Johnson's. That's the only thing Johnson looked at. Yeah. Kennedy wanted to get out. 
Remember, Kennedy wanted to get out. He was pulling out the advisors because of the drugs. Yep. This Yem regime was, was trafficking in drugs. Kennedy said, I'm not going to be involved in this, even though he was taking drugs from Dr. Feelgood. So he said, we're not going to get involved in, in, in a drug pushing in Vietnam. He's going to pull out. And the next thing you know, he's assassinated. Yeah. It's evil to the core. Um, I think on that note, Dr. Burns, we'll wrap this one up. Um, I'm going to email you again after we're going to schedule another one. Cause I absolutely love talking to you. I love you. I sent you an article from the times okay. about how artificial intelligence can destroy the planet. Okay. So next time read the article, next time we can discuss that. Beautiful. Because there was a guy that I spoke to years ago. He was a futurist. Yeah. And so um, we were backing and forth, right? So I said, so listen, what's going to happen if you said to an artificial intelligence computer that uh, they have to clean up, they have to solve the problem of climate change? You know what he said to me? He'd get rid of human beings. I don't know if you saw yesterday, and we'll leave it on this, is they did a simulation. It wasn't real, but it was a simulation of a drone which did the, the AI drone didn't know if it was a simulation or real life. It's just a simulation. Uh, and they were giving it points based on how many targets it killed. And uh, so the machine wanted to get as many points. This is within the last 24 hours. Um, and then the, the drone operator would tell it, you can't, can't kill that target because it's in a school. Can't kill that target. It's at a wedding. And it kept telling it no, and then it would not get a high score. So finally, the drone said, this person is in my way, and it, in the simulation, killed the drone operator, and then went and started killing its targets. This is Skynet. This is Terminator, man. It's gonna... This is it. (laughs) Okay, this is, you know... And and, and on that note, you have a wonderful weekend. You too, sir. And everybody else, I hope you guys can uh, have a good weekend, too. Dr. Burns, I'll email you. Next one will be AI. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Go buy the book. Go follow him. Thank you so much, sir. Take care, everybody. God bless. Peace.